Life Audio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Sparkle Speak. I'm your host, Catherine, and today we have on with us our very special guest, Molly Stillman. She is the host of the Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder podcast and a sought-after speaker. We actually have her on today to talk about her new book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, as well as talking about her faith journey and her story to finding Jesus. She has a lifestyle blog where she talks a lot about ethical style, clean beauty, parenting, and serving in their communities. She lives with her husband and her two kids on a farm with animals in North Carolina. And you can find her on the internet at stillbeingmolly.com. After a few words from our sponsors, please enjoy hearing from Molly. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah, so as we get started... um, I always ask each and every one of our guests this, so I would love to hear like your take on it. But when did you first start identifying yourself as a Christian or how did you personally come to know God in the first place? Yes. So um, I was 25 and uh, I was had just turned 25 and, you know, I grew up in a, um, a home where, um, you know, my parents had been raised in a really strict Catholic upbringing. And so for a variety of reasons, my parents chose not to raise me in church. Um, and so I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I had had, um, friends growing up who were Christian, you know, and I knew, you know, loosely who Jesus was, but it was very much a, Mel Gibson, flowy hair, like blonde, blue eyed Jesus that I saw pictures of in like Sunday school classrooms and um, the churches where my parents went to AA meetings. Um, And so I, you know, I, I didn't really know much about, I, if you would ask me like what the gospel is, I would not have known that answer. Um, And so here I was, I'm 25 years old and I'm at the darkest point of my life. Um, for a, a variety of reasons, I had gotten to a point of, uh, of total emotional, spiritual, financial, relational rock bottom. Um, I was tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Um, my mom had died when I was 17 and I had, you know, not dealt with the grief, uh, of, of her passing, I had moved from Virginia to North Carolina. I was working four jobs trying to get out of debt. I had just gotten out of a 
uh, pretty, uh, just, let's just say toxic, uh, relationship. Um, that was not good for me, um, in many ways. And so I had found myself like pretty lost. Um, and I had reached a point where I, I mean, I was living alone in a state again, that I didn't really know a whole lot of people except for the guy that I had moved there for, um, who, you know, had broken up with me. And so I was, I had reached this point where I would find myself every night laying in bed, uh, looking up at the ceiling and, and imagining the ways in which I was going to take my life because I felt that that was the only way that I was just going to get out of the situation that I was in. And so when you get to that point, when you are at the, that lowest moment, um, you know, and you've lost any and all sense of hope, um, it's a pretty dangerous place to be. And so, um, but, but, but God. And, um, so I had, uh, you know, so this was September of 2010, September 26, 2010. And, uh, but fast forward or fast or rewind a couple of months and I had started, let's just say hanging out with <laughs> a guy that I worked with who spoiler alert is now my husband. Um, because of course those relationships always happen when you are, I mean, like, Ladies listening, y'all feel me like so many. So I talked to so many people who are like, yeah, my husband is like the guy that I met that like when I was not looking for a relationship. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> I was not looking for a relationship. I didn't want to be in a relationship. I just gotten out of a really bad relationship. I mean, I just I was in no way, shape or form in any state of mind or state of life to be in a relationship. Um, but I started kind of just hanging out with this guy that I worked with. I really liked him. He liked me, um, but we weren't boyfriend, girlfriend you know, we weren't boyfriend, girlfriend. There was no, there was no title on it. He had never had a girlfriend before. Um, like literally he was 25, 26 at the time. Uh, he had never had a girlfriend before and he was, um, you know, so we, we did not put a label on it. And so we were, we were just hanging out all the time, every day, <laughs> texting all the time, <laughs> but we were dating any event very quickly into our hanging out. Um, I realized something about him and that was, there was something different. And, um, you know, I tell, I, I, I like to brag on my husband in that, like, he never evangelized me. <laughs> he never was like, do you know, Jesus, you know, it just wasn't like any of those things. It just was in the way he carried himself in the way he lived his life. Um, and ironically he says, that point of his life was probably the lowest he was spiritually. Um, even though he was still like, he was still attending church. He still believed he just was not like walking with God as closely as he had been or, or should have been. Um, mm -hmm. and yet there was something different about him. And I just, there was that something within me that I now know is that still small voice of the Holy spirit. That was just like, I want, I want what he has. Um, I want to be that secure in my identity and my um, self-worth. And and he just wasn't defined by anybody around him. He wasn't, he just, and he's still like that. He's just not shaken. He's not rattled by anything. He just isn't like high and low. Like he's just so stable and comfortable in his faith and who he is and who God created him to be. And he doesn't try to be somebody else and he doesn't try to impress people. It's just 
And it was just, there was something about him. There was trustworthy and he had integrity and all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, his birthday was September 26, 2010. And for reasons that at the time made zero sense, I said, can I go to church with you? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And so he picked me up from my apartment that morning and we went to church and we said nothing in the car all the way there, which for me, that is unheard of. And I was terrified. I was just like, why am I doing this? This is a giant mistake. Church isn't going to want me. Like these people aren't going to want me. I just, all of those lies were going through my head. And we walked inside and obviously very quickly, like shocker, people were friendly, like people were <laughs> welcoming and people wanted me to be there. And um, I remember the music started and there was just this like sense and the spirit in the room um, that I was just like, I want what these people have. And, um, and uh, that day for the very first time in my life, I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel and it wasn't like I had this moment where I raised my hand and I was like crying and it wasn't anything like that. Like if you have that moment, that's great. That wasn't mine. But it was what I, what I left with that day was hope and hope is a powerful, powerful thing. And so, Mm. um, I went back to church the next Sunday and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and it began that slow process of just loosening the grip that I had, what I would, I'd been white knuckling everything in my life from my my mind, my, my heart, my body, my, my spirit, my finances, everything I had been white knuckling. And it was that slow, painful process of releasing it and to surrendering it all. Um, you know, I, and I just dove headfirst into my faith and I, you know, started attending weekly. I auditioned for the worship team and I was singing and I went on a mission trip and I started tithing. I mean, it was just like, and I, you know, I just, I became radically transformed. Um, and, uh, so the, the woman that you were talking to today, uh, in the year of our Lord, 2024 is a vastly, vastly different person than the woman I was when I walked in that church in 2010. Mm. And isn't that so God, that's what he says. We're new creations when we meet him. And you literally do feel like that when that happens to you. And I really love your story and how you shared it because, you know, we have so many different types of discovering faith stories on this show. Yeah. Like some people do have the moment where it's like they raise their hand and they're sobbing and their life is is changed. And then we have people like you where you're like, I didn't have that. But what I left with in that moment was hope. I love how you worded that. And I think so many people can relate to that. And so many people feel like they're there right now. Like mm-hmm. maybe they haven't fully um, started that surrendering process with God, but maybe they're starting to feel more hopeful that like, maybe he could change things for the better in my life. And maybe he is the answer. So I love that you're sharing your story um, where that's where you were. And that's, you know, kind of what started your transformation process. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know you touched on it a little bit um, and you don't have to, you know, talk about, or you can talk about any experiences you want to, but um, like what experiences have you had in your life that have like shaped or changed your view of God or have there been like significant events or seasons of life where they've really defined your faith? 
Well, I mean, you know, seeing as how I didn't come to true faith until I was 25, you know, my, my view of God and my view of the church in general was, was shaped in childhood by uh, a lot of things. Um, But I remember very vividly, and I tell this story in the book, um, when I was in elementary school, I had a best friend and um we'd become best friends in second grade and she was in uh you know she grew up in a really really strong christian home um and she was my best friend and so i mean we would have you know sleepovers and we would uh you know talk about how we were going to be in each other's weddings one day and like all that kind of stuff and um and like but i remember going to her house and like her parents would uh do devotionals and things like that and um so she had, and she had asked me to go to awana with her um and so i started going to awana because i liked my friend and i liked earning patches which you know just like all i knew awana to be was i would go to awana <laughs> and get patches and um but i didn't i mean i you know again i'm i didn't know what i was doing or anything like that and so I, you know, it was just, it was sporadic here and there. Um, but in the fifth grade, um, I remember it was a rainy day and we had PE inside that day. And, uh, you know, this is the nineties. And so we're doing the, uh, the rainbow parachute thing. You know, the kids in the nineties are like, yep. yep, best day of PE was the rainbow parachute. Mm-hmm. So we brought that rainbow parachute out and we're doing the popcorn game and whatever. And, um, and at one point, like it's kind of free play time. And my friend asks me, Hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. So we go into like a little side room right off of the gym and we're sitting there and this is just, it's, this is one of those memories that is like, I can replay it in high def in my brain. Um, and we're sitting down and she looks at me and she says, we can't be friends anymore. And I just was so confused. I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, you can't be friends anymore. Like, is this like a, are you breaking up with me? Like, I didn't, you know, we can't be friends anymore. And I said, uh, what do you, what do you mean? We can't be friends anymore. And she said, you're not Christian enough for me. And I, in that moment and to this day, like the pit in my stomach feeling that I got at that, that time and the, the pit in my stomach that I still feel to this day. Um, you know, and I know at the time, like, especially looking back, like, I don't blame her now. Like, I mean, I, I kind of loosely, you know, know what she's doing today. We, we were never friends again after that. Um, you know, I, I kind of loosely know what she's up to these days, but, you know, I don't, it wasn't, I, in a lot of ways, I, I don't think it was her fault. Um, I think it was probably just something that she had probably heard from somebody at church or, parent or something like that. Um, but that became formative for me because I had this mindset of like, well, if that's what being Christian's about, then like, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And so, Understandable. It, yeah. yeah. So it put a, it put a sour t- taste in my mouth, uh, towards the church for a very long time. And, um, so it was, it was really painful. Um, but I, um, you know, eventually, you know, I, I learned that that is, that that does not represent the gospel. That is not Jesus. That is not forgiveness. That is not grace and mercy. Um, but that was for sure one of the more formative experiences. And I think that's why, you know, later in high school and in college, like why I was so hesitant, um, 
And there were times where like I would go with friends to like uh, in college, like I would go with friends to a Bible study or I would go with friends to a, you know, inner varsity or something like that. But again, I was just this like everything was kind of at arm's length and I just never, I never dove in because I was just always afraid that I was never going to be Christian enough for these people. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. And you know, to your point, I doubt your friend was meaning to be malicious. She probably, like you said, had heard something and misinterpreted it or whatever, but it just, I can understand how that stung and like confused you like what is this and obviously you know as you mature in your faith you realize that like that's not what God is asking you to do like he's not asking you to push people away that aren't like-minded or who don't know him like we're actually called to serve those people and like to continue in relationship with people who don't believe what we believe but it is such a good reminder for us to not you know unintentionally push that message on people that we don't want to be around them because they don't believe what we believe, you know? Right. And I think that it, but I, I think in some ways that experience gave me a different lens through which to view others now, um, in a unique perspective on, on how to view others now. And, and especially, you know, as my kids and my daughter, like my daughter's in fourth grade right now. Um, you know, but so, and, and my kids, you know, are, are, they love the Lord. Um, and my daughter has friends who are not Christian. I mean, she has a couple of her best friends, you know, do go to church and are Christians, but she has some friends that are not. And so I'm really careful with her too, in like, I don't ever want her to receive those messages. So, um, that, that she would then inadvertently pass on to a friend that, um, that doesn't believe what she believes. And so in some ways, it, you know, it's been a gift that then it gives me compassion and um, it gives me a unique uh, way to interact with people who believe differently and, um, and also to help my daughter too. And, you know, to be wise in her friendships um, and guarded in friendships, especially in today's day and age when like reality is, is that, you know, a lot of her friends who are not Christians, like they have at, 10 years old, like they have phones and they have TikTok and they have things that we're not going to allow in our household. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's a difference between like being wise and discerning in how, how our kids are friends with, with people who are outside of the church, um, and loving. Um, and part of that involves like, I tell her all the time, I'm like, any of your friends are welcome in our home, literally anytime, like they are welcome here anytime this is a safe place and we want to create an environment where they will always feel welcome. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more guarded as far as what homes you go to Mm -hmm. um, until I know their parents and, you know, things like that. um, And so I think that's, that's a difference between being wise and discerning versus like telling her, no, you cannot be friends with this person because they are not a Christian. Like that is absurd, (laughs) you know, and I have friends, like I am friends with people who are not Christians because that's what we're called to do. And so it's not, it doesn't become this like exclusive club. Like if anything, uh, you know, the gospel, you know, Jesus came for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, and he came for the Jews and the Gentiles and he came for the, you know, all of us. And so that is, um, that's something I've really carried with me. Absolutely. And, you know, Jesus was the perfect example of, speaking truth 
in love. Like, and it's hard for us as human beings to do that perfectly all the time. I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out. How do you, you know, follow what the Bible says, but do it in a loving way that allows everybody to feel loved, but also with speaking truth and being honest about you know, what we do believe to be true. And so that's something that I think all of us have to just journey and look to Jesus to be our example for what that looks like, because he was the one that modeled it perfectly, even though we can't. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for sharing all that. I do want to talk a little bit about your book. So you mentioned that that story you just shared was in your book, Mm -hmm. but your book is called, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Can you tell us a little bit about like what it's about and what inspired you to write it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is called, if I don't laugh, I'll cry how death debt and comedy led to a life of faith farming and forgetting what I came into this room for and all the people <laughs> over 35 said, amen. Um, and yeah, so it is, uh, it is a memoir. Um, and it is, it is my story. It's, um, the story of, uh, you know, growing up the daughter of a Vietnam veteran, um, my mom, she wrote her memoir, um, Home Before Morning. It was a best-selling memoir in the early 80s about her time in Vietnam. Um, and uh, it's kind of the, it's it's really the story of growing up the daughter of of this Vietnam veteran who she became chronically ill um, when I was in the fourth grade. And um, due to a disease that she uh, contracted due to her exposure to Agent Orange while she was in Vietnam. Um, and she battled uh, this chronic illness for eight years before uh, she passed away on November 15th of 2002. I was a senior in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, so it's it's the story of growing up under those circumstances, losing my mom at 17, going off to college and striving, uh, seeking identity and purpose and meaning in success and status and, uh, you know, boys and money and all of those things. Um, and then on my 21st birthday, I receive a surprise inheritance for nearly a quarter of a million dollars from my mom's estranged family's estate. And then I proceed to blow it all in less than two years. And not only did I spend every last dime, I ended up over $36,000 in consumer credit card debt. And, um, and how those actions, those decisions, uh, led me down this really just destructive path towards emotional, spiritual, um, relational rock bottom, um, until, uh, I, I came to know the Lord at 25. And so the book is really, um, you know, I'd say 80% of it is, uh, my life, uh, BC before Christ (laughs) and, um, because I, I felt it was really important to help the reader and help people understand like how I got to that point. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I don't steward this story lightly. Um, and I wrote it, I mean, for a couple of reasons, I mean, one on a, just a, you know, very surface level, like I'd always wanted to write a book. Uh, my mom was a writer. I was a creative writing major in college. So writing a book had always been a dream, but I didn't know by any means like what that was going to entail or like what, what, uh, I was going to write about or anything like that. And it really wasn't until the past decade that it became more clear that I was supposed to, to write my testimony and share my testimony, um, in book form. Mm. And, um, and it really, you know, it's, it's, it's taken shape in the last seven, 
years or so. Um, and then the actual, I started some of the chapters as long ago as about seven years ago. Oh, um, wow. there are a few chapters that that's when I started writing them, but the bulk of the manuscript, I didn't write until the last two years. Um, and at the end of the day, like, why did I write it? Why do I want people to read this book? Like, why do I care about this message? Why am I so passionate about it? Why do I shamelessly sit here and say, please go get the book and go buy the audiobook? I read it. Um, it's, you know, it's really fun. I, I do believe uh, that readers are going to laugh. Um, they're going to cry. Um, they're going to laugh till they cry. Um, <laughs> but really, while it is written through the lens of my story, it is my testimony it's actually all of our stories. You know, if we are blessed to live long enough, all of us are going to experience suffering and pain and embarrassment and feel shame. And we're going to make mistakes and we're going to do things that we want to cover up. And we're going to, we're going to experience betrayal and heartache and grief. That's just, that is the human experience. That is what we go through. Um, but it is what we do with that that matters. What do we do with it on the other side that to know that none of our story is wasted, none of our pain um, do we experience for, for nothing. Um, and the reality is, is that pain is a much, much greater teacher than blessing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my prayer is that people close the book and they see themselves in through my story and that they, that they too know that their story, whatever it looks like, um, that their story is not wasted and that their life is, it matters and that they were created by an incredible God who created them on purpose and with a purpose and for a purpose and that their pain, whatever that is, whatever it looks like, whatever it will look like, um, that it, that there is purpose and meaning in it. I really, really like that you phrase it that way and that you um, remind us that there's purpose in our pain, because I think, you know, we it's it's hard. I feel like you can look back on your life. You can have regrets. You can wish you didn't have to experience certain things. And I think we all feel that way about certain things or we will feel that way. But I feel like only with God, are you able to look back on pain and be like, wow, like he redeemed it. He brought beauty from those ashes. And you really like when you do know God and you see his hand in your life, you're able to see that more clearly of how like he doesn't just let us go through pain and brokenness. And then it's just like, oh, well, oh, well, like, I guess we'll move on and try to be better. It's like, he actually really does pick up those pieces and make it into something beautiful. And it's like, only God could do that. In my opinion, it's like, as you watch him do it, you're just like mind blown. Like, wow, he can actually do that. He can make bad things beautiful. That's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, we see it. I mean, nearly every story throughout the Bible, we see, we see that, um, that there is nothing is nothing is wasted. Um, and I love looking at the story of Joseph in the old Testament. Um, and just, you know, the, the pain and the suffering that he experienced, I mean, being sold into slavery and ending up in jail and framed by, you know, Potiphar's wife. I mean, just all these things. And yet like God placed him in that position gave him his gifts of interpreting dreams all for a purpose that ultimately like saved people in time 
of famine and, and restored and, and then there became forgiveness. Um, you know, it, it's just, there's so much power in that, that, that really, um, you know, was lasted, you know, the legacy of that for thousands and thousands of years. And so, um, and that's just one of countless examples that just God at the time, you just look at it and you go, this doesn't make any sense. God, like why, why? And I don't believe that he's up there being, I, I don't, I do not believe or espouse any kind of gospel or, or message that says that God's up there in heaven, like orchestrating all these bad things to happen. Um, you know, and I don't pretend to have the perfect answer for like, why do bad things happen? Um, mm. you know, how does God let bad things happen? Um, you know, God and his sovereignty, like he just, he, he knows all and he can see the bigger picture. And, you know, here I am, like the only sliver of it that I understand and that I get is, you know, I now have the benefit of hindsight and I can look back on the you know, the first 25 years of my life and even in the last 14 years. And I can say, oh, that's why, that's why that happened. Um, and at the time it made no sense, but now with the benefit and the gift of hindsight, I can go, okay, it, it makes sense. Now I see how it all like uh, eventually worked out. The reality is, is like God has the ultimate hindsight. Like he has the foresight, the hindsight, the side sight, the, all the sight, like you know, and so he, he has that gift. And so he has a, a zoomed out picture of our lives that we just never will have this side of heaven. And so, um, I don't pretend to have a, a pretty clean, you know, bow answer, but that's, um, you know, I just, I think that that's that, that message is so powerful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love that story too. That's such a great example of what we were talking about. Um, just as we close out here too, I did want to just, mention one thing that you talked about in um it's one of the the last chapters of your book called New Hope but I really like that you kind of paraphrased like the first part of your book by saying I spent the first 25 years of my life attempting to find myself only to find myself broken broken um I knew I was lost so I did everything in my power to find myself but none of it worked mm -hmm. so I think it's so cool that you like paint that picture. And like you said, you do it through like laughter and it's so great. Um, but you paint that picture. And then I guess if you could leave our listener with like one piece of advice, what would be your advice for how you do find yourself? Like if mm -hmm. someone is feeling that like, yeah, I've spent most of my life trying to find myself and I don't, I'm broken. Like what would be your advice to someone who feels that way right now? Yeah. Um, well, let me just say this. It is not, there is not a quick microwave button answer. Um, but what I can say is that as we more often than not, when I have conversations with women who are in that position and they're like, I've been trying to find myself, I've been trying to find my purpose and identity more often than not, I'd say 99.99999% of the time. What they've actually been doing is they've been trying, trying is the first number word. They've been trying, striving to find themselves in their identity in, as a mother, as a wife, in their job, in their career. Like there's a worldly, earthly thing that is like, tied to that. I've been trying to find blah, 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 blah. Like insert worldly, earthly thing here. Mm. Ultimately, whatever we, tr we are striving to find ourselves in sex, power, money, 
fame, uh, success, status, marriage, motherhood, uh, you know, the clothes we wear, the house we live in, the car we drive, the salary we earn, whatever, whatever that worldly earthly thing is that we have been pursuing, that thing is going to let you down. That thing is going to disappoint you. That thing is going to break your heart because there's no firm foundation in any of those things. I love being a wife. I love being a mother. But if at the end of the day, I am defined by that label or that status, I'm going to drive myself crazy because I screwed up three things this morning with my kids. Like I probably didn't love my husband as well as I should have yesterday. Um, like I'm never, I am never going to measure up to what in my mind, I think I should measure up to be. Right. And so step number one is beginning the very slow, painful process of letting that go, letting the pursuit of those things go. And what we do search for is our identity in Christ. So what did God, what does God say about us mm. that you know, he created us in his image before we were knit together in our mother's wombs. He knew us. He knows our name. He calls us by our names. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Um, like he speaking these biblical truths over ourselves and beginning to that process of finding our security and our identity and our peace in Christ. That is where it all lies. And so, but that to answer your question really is like, it is a slow, painful process of releasing it all. And so it's going to look different for everybody. For me, it really started out with my finances. Like I had to surrender my wallet to God and that was through tithing because that was the thing that had a vice grip on my soul. And so when, once I released that and I, I mean, the rest came easy for others, it might be in your, your intimate relationships for others. It might be in motherhood for others. It might be in material things or wealth. And so what, what we have to do is we have to start just asking God, like literally cracking, literally cracking open your Bible and asking God, like, what do you say about me? What do you say about this thing? And it's, it is a slow, painful process. It is not going to happen overnight. It's take, I'm 14 years in and I'm still, I haven't arrived, but I can tell you right now, like I am not defined by what the world says about me. I'm not defined by the labels placed on me. I do not find my identity as an author, as a speaker, as a writer, you know, as a writer, as a podcaster, like as a wife, as a mother, that's not my identity. Those are things that are, I'm passionate about and that I, I do, but they, that is not where I find my identity. First and foremost, I find my identity in, as a daughter of the King, as a daughter of the most high God, and I'm going to steward what he has given me well. Wow. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's like the key nugget right there, what you just shared. <laughs> I think everybody needs to hear that and be reminded of it. And I think, yeah, just thank you. That was that was very insightful. So um, where can people find you? Like if they want to find your book or listen to more of you, where can they find your information at? Yes. Yeah, so you can get the book. Um, depending on when this comes out, uh, the book comes out March 26th. 
And uh, so you can get it wherever books are sold, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. Um, and uh, if I would just, I would love if you would pick up a copy of it. And also if you like the sound of my voice, um, I do record the audiobook. Um, and the, the audiobook was really, really fun to do. So uh, you can get the audiobook. If I don't laugh, I'll cry. Um, so I would just be so grateful if you would do that. And then um, you can find me on social media. I'm at still being Molly. And I have a podcast and it's called, can I laugh on your shoulder? And it comes awesome. out weekly and I get to have really fun, uh, just inspiring, incredible conversations with just in wonderful people. Um, and so you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. And you do have a great sounding voice. So I oh, bet the audio you. is great and your podcast thank too. You. Can't thank wait you. to listen. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> All right, Molly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been honestly such a pleasure and yeah, we'll be in touch. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. All right, everybody, as always, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Sparkle Speak. You can find us and other podcasts just like this one at our um, network, lifeaudio.com. You can also find us at sparklefaith.com and check our show notes to find our social media webpage. And you will also see a form where you can um, click on it and fill it out if you would like to be featured on our podcast and have your faith story um, featured to share with others. Thank you so much and have a great week. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, you can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.